This episode of the Tony Robbins Podcast is brought to you by the Ultimate Relationship Program. I'm going to ask you to answer a question very honestly. How's your relationship? And if you answer fine or even good, then why are you settling? You might think that passion naturally fades over time, or maybe that it's just not in the cards for everyone. But those are just stories you've been conditioning yourself to believe. Because the truth is, lasting, passionate love, the stuff of couple goals, it's not something you just get by luck. It's something you create. Yep, newsflash, relationships need work. But it's the best kind of work, because nothing in your life will ever be more rewarding than creating a deep, intimate connection with someone else. And that's what the Ultimate Relationship Program is all about. Tony and Sage Robbins created this 10-day audio program to help you get absolute clarity on what you need and want from a romantic relationship, and to teach you the tools and strategies to achieve that. The program features insights that Tony and Sage discovered through their own relationship, and also from their work with other couples. You'll witness the incredible transformations of these couples, and you'll see how it impacted their relationships for years to come. You'll also see where you are currently in your relationship, and what's stopping you from having what you want. So whether you're single or in a committed relationship, URP allows you to see what's possible when you transform your beliefs, eliminate your fears, and master the skills to create your ultimate relationship. Who wants to settle for anything less? Right now, you can get the Ultimate Relationship Program for 25% off until March 4th, 2018. Go to www.tonyrobbins.com forward slash URP. Take advantage of this limited time special. ask you something. What have you been taught about pleasure? And what have you learned about sexual connection? And does the very thought of answering those two questions make you a little bit uncomfortable? Hey guys, it's Anna, Editorial Director for Robbins Research International. In this episode of the Tony Robbins Podcast, I'm sitting down with renowned sexologist Jaya and her partner Ian. Jaya is the author of Red Hot Touch and the founder of New World Sex Education a company dedicated to using education to help men and women get the sex lives they've always wanted. Her mission is to help unleash erotic ecstasy and shift the cultural view of sexuality from being something that's bad, wrong, or shameful to something that's seen as healthy and worth cultivating and even worth celebrating. You may have seen Jaya on The Doctors, Good Morning America, Nightline, or CNN. She's also been a guest speaker at Tony's Platinum Partner events. Today, we're exploring the ultimate language of connection, passion, and sexual satisfaction, which Jaya refers to as the erotic blueprint. Jaya created the erotic blueprint framework to help you discover your personal map of arousal and how you can understand yourself and your partner on a deeper level than ever before. Because it's not just about being able to communicate what you need, it's about speaking the same language as your partner and learning how to honor and fulfill their needs. That's the path to connection. And it's the way to open up new possibility for seduction, enticement, and a deeper level of intimacy than you've ever experienced before. Hello, Jaya and Ian. Welcome to the Bertoni Robbins podcast. We're so excited to have you. Oh We're my. So excited to be here. <laughs> Super thrilled to be here. I'm very excited. So I'd love to start off by um, having you explain to our audience this unique concept that you have about the erotic blueprint. What is an erotic blueprint and why is it such a critical part of the foundation for any healthy sexual relationship? 
The way that I see it, each person is wired a certain way erotically. And so a blueprint is a map of how you're turned on, how you receive pleasure. And what we found over, I've been at this for two decades now, what I found over time is that each person is really unique in that map. But yet there's still similarities so that we can categorize things. There are five main blueprint types that, that a person may be or a combination of those types that they can be. And I'll go into each type here in a little bit, but just a little bit about a background as far as how I discovered this is that I have a very unique profession and I get to work with people in a very intimate setting in an intimate topic of sexuality. And over the years of working with people on various challenges of not being turned on, not being attracted to their partner, having difficulty with shame around sexuality, I started to notice these patterns and these different categories and to help people really map out their eroticism so that we can speak, we can know what satisfies us, and then we can speak to each other in an honoring way. We don't talk about sexuality, and so therefore we don't have this information that helps us really to honor one another, to turn each other on, to find full satisfaction and pleasure, and to ultimately connect on a much deeper level because we know who we are, we can communicate who we are, and our partner can have compassion for who we are if it seems like we're incompatible in the bedroom. And I think compatibility sexually and saying we're incompatible is a myth. I can talk about that more too. Yeah. So the um, the idea that this is something that people uh, aren't necessarily talking openly about is that an obstacle that is really the first thing to overcome um, to to you know sort of start the conversation around it? Yeah, I'd say that we are afraid to talk about sex, and yet we're always learning about sex. So from a very early age, from early on we are learning about sex. I ask people in audiences all over, I'm like, did you get a sex education when you were younger? That was good, that was positive. And very few people raise their hand. I'll have audiences of 1,500 people and one or two people will raise their hand. You did learn about sex. And I want everyone listening just to think about what did you learn about sexuality growing up? Was it to be silent? Was it that it was bad, that it was wrong, that your body was bad, that it was something to be ashamed of? What did you learn about pleasure? What did you learn about relationship growing up? Because all of this ties into our sexuality. And it's something that my partner, Ian, who's here with me, it's something that we're always checking in with people and looking at very deeply because first we have to unravel all of that negative programming and negative things that we learned about our sexuality and about who we are as sexual beings. I say that we're all a product of sex. And when we make that bad and wrong, we make all of humanity bad and wrong. So I'd like to shift this from something that we have shame and hiding and lack of conversation and a lot of pain and suffering around that's unnecessary and shift it into something that's celebrated and cultivated. And there's a conversation and community and support around this as we start to unravel this negative programming that we've had. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you know, you, you talk about sexual education and I'm sure if you ask the audience, you know, hey, what, what, you know, what sort of sexual education did you have when you were younger? And they immediately think of, you know, what, seventh, eighth grade, <laughs> right? Yeah. With the, the yeah. diagrams and <laughs> it's, it's very biological and we don't really talk about the emotional side of things. 
Um, and I know also, you know, in terms of uh, relationships, that's also something that is just not taught. And for many people, even, you know, past their 20s and 30s, 40s, you know, they get older. Um, that's where that's where therapy comes in and, and couples therapy, individual therapy, and people often only really discover things about themselves um, well after those things about themselves have been formed. Yeah. So it's interesting if, you know, we sort of uh, attack this problem at a younger, you know, a younger age and earlier stage, um, it really helps people um, not just become, you know, more true to themselves, but gives them the tools and strategies. And that's what Tony is all about, right? The tools and strategies mm -hmm. to take control, to not just become a passive participant in their sexuality, but to really take, uh, help it take shape. Exactly. So it's really interesting. Yeah. And you're giving people, and not just the tools and strategies, right? You're giving them the, the words, right? The vernacular in order to be able to talk about these things. Yeah. And I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat because that's exactly the, the point that I want to highlight is that in the shadows, we get no distinctions. We get no language. We get no way to actually have the conversation in the first place. We often talk about the blueprints as if people are speaking foreign languages. So over here, Jai is speaking Chinese and I'm speaking German. And we have no idea what each other is saying because nobody's taught us actually how to speak in each other's language. And the erotic blueprints are like that translation dictionary that starts to get, get it so that we can have the conversation in the first place because of all the stuff we're talking about, about cultural inherited mythologies around sexuality, morality around sexuality. The, the, the blueprints sort of like level the playing field because we're taking shame out of the dialogue and we're talking about human pleasure as a natural birthright. Like it's, you, we're born out of sex. We're born to experience pleasure and we need access to it. And the erotic blueprints are like the perfect foil for getting us there. I'll back up that every cell in your body is actually wired for pleasure. We have touch receptors. There's a, there's a purpose for pleasure in our lives. And I think that we get so busy just doing, 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 doing. And for those of us, especially who live in, uh, you know, feminine energy, we really need, it's like nurturing our radiance that is our gift to the world. We really need to stop and take that time to put pleasure first. And it's become one of our core brand values to put pleasure first. And I will admit that it's one that I struggle with because I can get very in a do do. I'm so like passionate about my mission that I forget to take that time to nurture, to feel pleasure, to find pleasure, to become a pleasure seeker throughout my life. It's interesting, you know, you mentioned women too, because that there is that stereotype, you know, you do you girl, right? Like you take the time for yourself, you know, new moms, it's a big thing, right? Like, you know, take care of yourself first. Don't, don't put your child first. Um, but mm -hmm. we associate very superficial things with that. So when we think of pleasure, a lot of times we think, oh, she's going to take a spa day, <laughs> right? She's going to oh. go out, she's going to go out with her girlfriends and have some wine. But those are not truly ways of taking care of yourself and, and providing pleasure. And they're certainly not sustainable, right? They're just quick fixes. So uh, this mm -hmm. is really interesting that having this deeper understanding and this language with your partner that essentially it sets you, it sets yourself up for success, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what are these blueprints? Cause I, I think by now everybody is very curious <laughs> of what they are. <laughs> if you guys could sort of go through them and then also, you know, there is a test that you can take and, you know, sort of send, tell people where they can take the full test. But if, um, you know, as you're going through, sort of explain what are some of the questions you can ask yourself and what are the ways that you can identify which one you are just sort of, off, you know, off mm -hmm. the top of your head. Mm -hmm. So first, 
piece is as I'm describing them and as Ian and I are going through them to just listen for what you resonate with. Like what do you, I'm a very embodied, I do a lot of body. I think the body has an intelligence and that there's a lot of wisdom there for us to listen to. So just notice like, does something really resonate in your body with you? And that may give you a truth as to what type you may be. And then we also have the quiz. So there's the, there's the mental aspect of determining your blueprints. So that's taking the quiz, listening to what I'm about to say now and what's really resonating with you in your body. And so the quiz people can go to eroticbreakthrough.com forward slash Robbins to take that quiz and it'll give you a percentage of what you are of each of these blueprints. But I believe the best way to actually determine your blueprint is to get really hands on with seeing what your body has to say with different kinds of touch. And I can go into that a little bit more as we dive deeper into first discovering mentally what we think we are and then maybe being surprised by what our bodies say. And so I'll go into that a little bit later. So let's start with the first one, um, which is energetic. And the energetic blueprint is turned on by tease, lots of space, anticipation, and yearning. They like to long. And energetic has a lot of orgasmic superpowers. So on their positive side, they can have orgasms without even being touched. The wind could blow right across their skin and just the deliciousness of the energy of the sun, something like that could be, because they're so sensitive, they could go into a lot of pleasure with very simple things that we may not think of as sexual or erotic. So Jaya is an energetic and energetic is not my primary. I've really developed uh, my energetic and it's for me standing on the outside of being with an energetic at the beginning, it's kind of like uh, uh, mysterious and Jedi night, Jedi night stuff. And, and, <laughs> and also a little bit like woo woo, like what is the, I, I can stand over here five feet away from you and just give you my presence and energy and that's going to create an orgasmic response in you. Or if I come too close too quickly, that short circuits you and and has it so that you can't drop into your pleasure. So the, the sensitivity of the energetic is one of the primary things that really gives away that you may be a primary energetic. Mm-hmm. And, and so glad- if you're not having the Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and I'm glad that you said that you're there with your presence, because I think that the overly simplistic way that people might uh, think about this when they think, oh, someone who has, you know, anticipation and longing is hard to get, right? Like somebody who holds back and and plays hard to get. And that's, but I want to be very careful that people don't assume that that is what you're talking about, because it is not about removing yourself and, and um, detaching yourself. And that person then wants you more. It's about being there, uh, right? In a certain way. So I wonder if you could sort of help us make that distinction, because I think that's really important to make. So as a very fundamental note, one of the things that we constantly stress with people is that presence is actually probably the primary sexual skill. The awareness of what's happening in your own body, but also awareness of what's happening in your partner's body. Mm-hmm. And awareness of the energy, especially for an energetic, between the two of you. So it's so the presence is actually key to this connection. And it's key to actually f- discovering your own truth erotically, because one of the things when we were talking about the mythologies earlier of, of sexuality in our culture is a lot of it disconnects us from our true um, our true essence or being able to drop into our body and say, 
that is me. That is what I resonate with. And as we talk through the blueprints and get into some of mine, I'll definitely reveal where some of my shadow parts were and my sort of like the shame, the things that have kept me from being my fully self-expressed person. And I'll say here, each blueprint has a positive side and a shadow side. And so the positives of the energetic are they are so hypersensitive, but that can also be on the shadow side is that they can get so overwhelmed and flooded with sensation that they short circuit. And maybe those of you listening who might resonate with this, it's like you're in the throes of something really amazing. And then as soon as it starts getting physical or as soon as it starts getting like really heightened or the arousal is really high, all of a sudden it goes to zero. And you're like, what happened? Mm, Where did shut all down. the arousal go? You yeah. just, body shuts down because it can't take the energy. And in men, this could also show up as premature ejaculation or like, like their body just can't take it and they short circuit and the arousal goes away or their body does something to like having a quick orgasmic, like a genital sneeze that then it, it just shuts off all of the pleasure. And so one of the things that I tell myself as an energetic is how much pleasure can I stand? Mm-hmm. And I, I challenge myself to expanding my capacity to receive pleasure Another shadow side of the energetic is that we can get, you know, you talked about like, this isn't about withdrawing your energy, but, but some of us can get icy and withdrawn. And a lot of times it's because we don't know how to honor our own boundaries and to speak up about our own boundaries. We feel so much. And so we may feel like, oh, if I speak up my boundary, I'm going to hurt my partner. And so we get afraid to say, you know what, I just need a little bit more space. Or, you know what, I need to pause right now so I can feel more. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm feeling a little smothered. And could could we like eye gaze right now or just breathe together for a moment? And to really honor what you need and what your boundaries are can be very challenging. This is the blueprint where I see it be the most challenged to actually speak up and say no and say, I need space or I need to take a pause right now so that we can actually feel more pleasure. Yeah. So that's energetic and that's what, you know, your majority energetic. Um, What are some of the other blueprints um, that you guys have explored? The next one is sensual Mm -hmm. and Ian is scores very high on the sensual. (laughs) Very, very, very high. (laughs) It's going to be hard for Jaya to relate to me, though you are expanding into your sensual. I am expanding. (laughs) And so the sensual is all about uh, the senses, the smells, the tastes, the the atmosphere, the environment. Music can be very arousing and uh, help me like, so for a sensual, we need to relax to be able to have sex. Um, or to be oh, start open to our own pleasure. So if there's um, the shadow side of that would be like if there's something undone, the room's a mess, the music's not the right volume, um, I've got a list of to-do items and I'm trying to drop in but I just can't connect, that would be a shadow side of the sensual. Um, and the other aspects of like really being able to connect to um, deep contouring touch uh, like full body, full body like closeness, pressure, closeness, slow dancing. Those are some of the things that they really love. There's something that Tony says that I love, and I think it really applies to sensuals. He says, get in your head and you're dead. Mm-hmm. I think for sensuals, they get really caught up in their head with, as Ian said, all the things in the room start talking to them and they, <laughs> they can't focus on the sensations that are actually happening in their body. But other superpowers is that they can have 
orgasmic experience and, and so much pleasure based on their senses. And they bring beauty to the sensual experience. So I don't care about the bedroom, but Ian's going to bring in you know, the elements of like something that smells good or some chocolate or some flowers. Like he really brings the beauty and design to our sexuality. I also want to talk about how these, these can play out because this was really a challenge with Ian and I is that we went through a period of time for three years where we weren't connecting sexually. And it was probably one of the most painful times in our relationship for sure. But I would say in my life because I felt incongruent with my work. Yeah. And so if you can just imagine, you know, we come to bed, we have a new baby. You talked about people who have young children, mm-hmm. you have a new baby and, I, and I'm in bed and Ian comes to bed and I would initiate sex. And the way that I was initiating was in the next blueprint that we're going to talk about. And it turned him off and he would, he would then say no, or say I'm exhausted or let's try another time. And we'd both roll over and I'd be crying myself to sleep at night. I didn't know how to reconnect. And I knew every sex technique in the books. I wrote the books on the sex techniques. <laughs> I've been, I've been, literally. Like, yeah. What is, literally, what is going on? Mm-hmm. I can't get my own partner attracted and desire desirous and wanting this. And it was just, so much pain between the two of us. And when you listen to Jaya's language, you hear that where she's talking, and she's talking from a historical self. Like she's talking about a place where she's interpreting my actions as that I wasn't attracted to her. I'm not in love with her. She's not going to get her needs met. And this is what couples suffer suffer from because that wasn't oh, what yeah. was happening in my world at all. Yeah. I was appro- I was coming to bed approaching her as a sensual. So I would I would slide into bed and I would get up next to her and I would cuddle and I would want to get that closeness of my body to body contact. Mm -hmm. And because Jaya is energetic, that was too much too quick. Mm -hmm. And because of the sexual blueprint, which we'll talk about next, that's not how she's going to get from zero to 60 in terms of her sexuality. So we had a complete disconnect. And in the face of uh, all of that going on between us, my confidence was dropping through the floor. I, I loved her. I wanted to provide for her. But we just kept missing each other every, over and over and over again because we weren't speaking each other's blueprint. Yeah. yeah. And that's it's interesting because, you know, there are certain uh, elements of <clears throat> how and I think for men and women, it's, it's often for masculine and feminine energies, it can be different. But, you know, you said your confidence plummeted. And Jaya, what I'm hearing from you is that you felt not that your self-esteem was plummeting, but you felt unwanted. And I think that happens yeah. a lot with women, right, is that we we see that as a rejection. We think, well, hold on, you know, I, and especially <clears throat> women who you know, are decision makers in the household or who are, you know, consider themselves to be strong, independent women with high (laughs) self-esteem, it's very difficult to have that feeling of like, well, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? Right. Mm -hmm. And really what it is, is just a, is just a disconnect. And it's so frustrating to, to try to work beyond that. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So the, the good news is that there's a turnaround. So there's <laughs> <laughs> a happy ending. Oh, yeah. We figured it all out. So, <laughs> uh, so the next blueprint is sexual. And the sexual is someone who is turned on by what we think of and how we define sex in our culture. And I'll say this, that we need to expand our definition of sex. As you're learning here, listening, there are the definition needs more expansion because there are these different types of blueprints. For, for an energetic, sex is very different for somebody who is, a, who is asexual, who is very different from somebody who's a shapeshifter, which is another piece that I'm going to talk about here in a bit. 
So for the sexual, sex is what we think of when we think of sex. It's intercourse, it's penetration. Genitals. They're turned by on by genitals, nudity. They love the erotic. And so they their superpowers is they bring fun. A, lo a lot of times if they're not in their shadow, there's no shame. It's very straightforward. It seems very simple. They like getting to their orgasm. They can be very goal-driven, which sometimes can be positive or can fall into the shadow. And their superpower is that orgasm and sex is something that helps them to relax and feel right in the world. Sex for a sexual isn't just something that we're doing. It's something that is a need mm -hmm. and it's a need and a drive for success. If I am not getting enough sex, I feel like I'm shriveling up. Like I'm not successful in the world. I feel like it just gets really hard for me to feel relaxed. It's like my anxiety level raises if I don't get that connection of the physical act of intercourse and penetration and orgasm. And I can it's share like it gets very water. in our mm -hmm. yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's like water. Air, food, water, air. And it gets very difficult in our relationship when we hit those thresholds in those periods of time when Jai is not getting that, uh, that need fulfilled. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so the shadow side of it is that we don't under, we just don't understand that it could be any other way. Like it's, it's, a, there's a little bit of selfishness in it of, well, it's so easy. Slot A goes in the slot B, you do the thing. <laughs> like you have an orgasm. Yeah. Let's not overcomplicate things. things. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, go ahead. I mean, um, you know, as you were describing that, I think, again, you know, it, people tend to oversimplify and fall into stereotypes. And that feels like a very masculine way of looking at sex. Is that something that you've found, you know, to be true, like majority? Or is that something where there are a lot of women who are highly sexual, but maybe it's yeah. not as explicit? It's not as obvious. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think this is a cultural thing as well. It's okay for men to be the sexual Mm -hmm. And it's not as okay for the women to be the sexual. It's okay for women to be sensual. And so there's this mythology. I think it's a mythology. And from what we've seen, how many people have we had take the quiz now? It's like up over 40,000, 40, something over like 40, that. 000. We're tracking all of the information. Yep. We are seeing data. that this actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, data. <laughs> it, is, it is actually incorrect. And there are many men who are energetics and sensuals and shapeshifters and kinkies are going to go into the other types here. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and there are a lot of women who are sexuals. And so I really want to break this mythology that gen, you know, how gender fits into all of this, because I think a lot of men wear a sexual mask because they think that that's how they should be, because that's how cultural tells the culture tells them to be. And women wear a mask of this is how I should be. It's not OK to actually be a sexual woman. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I love that question, because what our data is showing is that it's not not necessarily the truth, our <laughs> stereotype. Yeah. So uh, shadow side of the sexual, some more on that is also we can get so fixated on the goal that we forget the journey or that there even is a journey that exists. We forget foreplay. We don't, we're not interested in it. We don't want to like do anything afterwards or like, okay, back to work. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so, so this, and, and we can often think like, well, what's wrong? Like you're having an orgasm. I hear this a lot of times in my office as well, but, but she's having an orgasm. What's wrong? Mm -hmm. And it, it's like, there's a difficulty understanding the artistry and the more to sexuality that then can become a really big block and a lot of stubbornness and resistance to expanding into new territory. So if you take it back to the bedroom scene where Jai and I are in our disconnection of our three-year um, horror show mm -hmm. <laughs> at that time in our relationship, 
um, Jaya would come to bed and she would approach me from the sexual blueprint. She would be, I would touch uh, his genitals touch, yeah, and she'd... say, do you want to have sex tonight? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's almost like chop, chop, let's get to, let's get to it. <laughs> I actually said that to him. I actually have said, chop, chop, come on. We've got 20 minutes. Chop. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and for me who like at that time in our life, there were so many stresses going on and I was stressed out. I really needed my sensual fed yeah. so that I could actually even get present and feel my own pleasure and feel lovable. So, and so he's not present. My energetic feels it. Now I'm angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and, and then that gets interpreted in all these ways of, Oh, he's not attracted to me. He's not in love with me. Me. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm fumbling. I can't satisfy my partner instead of realizing it's really just a language difference. And once we start to be able to speak that language to each other, it, it, it opens up so much possibility for seduction, for enticement, connection, and really being able to drop in and feed each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the next blueprint, are we there yet? It's your favorite yeah. one. <laughs> I didn't talk about this one. I wouldn't have been as excited to talk about this one two years ago because um, this, is, this can be really challenging for people to admit. But in truth, my primary blueprint is the kinky blueprint. And the kinky blueprint is turned on by anything that's taboo for you. And that can be a huge range of possibilities. So for some people, having intercourse out of missionary position is actually taboo. There's like a huge thrill to, oh, we're going to try a different position or we're going to try oral sex or we're going to do this other thing. And it's that, that alone becomes very, very kinky. Mm-hmm. For others, and this is typically the stereotype of what kinky is, it can be everything from the leather masks and being tied up and whips and chains and some of the more um, bondage sadomasochism kind of aspects of kink. So the world of kink is absolutely vast. And uh, the it's it's all of those turn-ons of the taboo. Again, whatever the taboo is for you. And I can feel everybody not breathing, so please breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Relax. Yeah. Well, it sounds yeah, I, like kinky essentially is is the unknown. It's the uncertainty. It's the thrill of variety and and doing things that are sort of maybe outside of your comfort zone. So I think if you put it in those terms, it's it's you know feels a little less um, you know dangerous. Yes. yes. And another thing that gets layered in with it is and builds a lot of the shame aspect of this, um, that, you know, that's the shadow side of the kink. One of the biggest shadow sides is shame, is this uh, layer of um, the, the, the judgments of those things that that if I'm kinky, something's wrong with me. And mm-hmm. when Jaya and I dove into experimenting with my kinky aspect for the book that Jaya wrote called Cuff Tide Satisfied, um, it, we kept asking, like, why am I turned on by this? I have no history with sexual trauma. I have no sexual abuse history. Um, and so it didn't really tie into any of those things. It's really because just that's the mythology. That's the People mythology. think, oh, something must be wrong with me if I like these things. I oh, must sure. be psychologically, you know, whatever. I must have had abuse in my history. When that's that's not true, they've actually done studies that have shown that people who are kinky have really healthy mental stability, actually even more, and creativity and communication skills. So these are some of the superpowers. And I want to back up here just a little bit in our definition of kinky, talk about the two different types that oh, we yeah. see, yes. which are the psychological. I, If I tap into this, kinky was on the bottom of my development 
And the way I, when I started tapping into it was through the psychology of it. So I like being bossed around, for example, in the bedroom. Like if Ian tells me, go, go sit over there and raise your hip, raise your hip or put your hand in your hair. Like I like that, like where I'm not even being touched and that ties into my energetics. So my energetic helps me to develop this even more, but it's a different energy. And so we're playing with more the psychology of the power dynamic and the play of things like masculine, feminine energy or being in control or being a surrendered or being more light energy or dark energy that we're playing in the polarity and playing in the, the, the differing of power where I'm giving over power. Ian is giving over power in the dynamic and playing really deeply with with really some really fun psychological stuff mm-hmm. that becomes mm-hmm. a really big turn on. And Tony talks obviously a lot about masculine feminine and mm-hmm. really being able to own those energies. And again, those aren't gender related for us. Those are just about what what's your energy in the bedroom. And kink, when you explore it, even in its most innocent basic level, is an access to being able to explore those energies of what Jai is talking mm-hmm. about, about dominance, submission, who's in control, because a lot of the turn on around sexuality is in that polarity and being able to rem- keep that dynamic really strong, mm-hmm. no matter who's holding the power and who's being submissive, male, female, whatever, that that's where like the supercharge of the erotic energy gets turned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then the second type is someone who's turned on by sensation. And this could be very intense sensation, say spanking or hair pulling or a, a flogger or something, some tool or implement that you may be using. Or maybe it's the feeling of the ropes on your body. Also, like constriction is a, a, a part of the physical turn on for a lot of kinkies, of like being heavily restricted, heavily constricted. Mm-hmm. And that's Ian's main thing that we discovered was he really loved the sensation of the ropes and the play of being bound. And being able to play with that and that dynamic and learning the skill sets to do that was a huge game changer in our relationship because I felt before this, before discovering that he was very deeply kinky, I felt like I couldn't turn him on. Like the sensual was one thing that was a lead in. But when we started tapping into his kinky, I saw turn on in his body like I'd never seen before. And this whole time I'm thinking it was me. (laughs) And now I'm like, that's so easy. All I have to do is get out some ropes, lay it on the bed, leave a little note that says for tonight. And we've got instant turn on like I've never seen before. And it, it was so simple, but it was it wasn't until we recognized it and discovered it and talked about it, even talking about it can turn Ian on. Just, the, just like setting up what are our agreements around the container of consent in a session or scene that we're going to do that ha- that ties in the kinky can get him so aroused that we don't finish the conversation. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> um, now got him coming towards me, which was a huge shift in our relationship, and it started just turning everything around. Yep, it's interesting how you combine several too. You know the 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 physical kinky with sensual, you combine those two things together and you get that sort of custom scenario that you know is going to turn him on. And for you, right, combining energetic and sexual, that also lends itself to a clear scenario. So it's, it's almost like, you know, by sort of mixing and matching the different parts of you, you can come up with some, some solutions really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're tapping into advanced work here. (laughs) 
if we had several hours, we'd parts to get to a thing that we call blueprint stacking, mm-hmm. which is this exactly what you're talking about when you because we know we're we're not all just one of these blueprints. So it's the ability to weave that together to make this incredible, um, mm-hmm. you know, turn on for your partner or for yourself and, and knowing yourself well enough that you can actually ask for getting your needs met. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a hack into our sexuality. It's a super hack. For, for sure. <laughs> no. uh, I didn't talk about the, the shadows about the kinky. So the, the kinky shadow, Ian did mention is shame. And it's a lot of questioning yourself. Why am I turned on by this? I, this is wrong. This, this is, is weird. I'm bad. bad. You know, you're, you're going into that, that conversation of making yourself bad for the things that really turn you on and that bring you that freedom of sexual expression and that, that celebration of who you are as a sexual being. And then another piece is when there's a lot of shame and a lot of hiding, you can have something that's a turn on that turns into kind of a neurosis or it turns into like a, you get so fixated on it, it becomes your only route to pleasure. So it could be something like uh, Jack Morin in his book, The Erotic Mind, talks about uh, a, a person who's turned on by a yellow raincoat. And the only way they can get turned on is by wearing a yellow raincoat. Well, this becomes a challenge when it's your only pathway to pleasure. I want everybody to have multiple pathways to pleasure because what happens is when we do the same thing over and over again, it becomes this little groove and the groove eventually becomes a rut. And that pattern, that rut then becomes a grave in your sexuality because you only have one pathway. And having multiple pathways then opens you up to all kinds of discovery, especially if you're single and you're listening to this, you want to have multiple pathways because you never know what kind of blueprint you may walk into in your next relationship. <laughs> sure. No, sure. it's it's fascinating too that <clears throat> you mentioned that because Tony actually has a concept called a blueprint for happiness. And it's mm-hmm. the idea that we have a, a an idea in our head, a very specific idea of what will cause us happiness. So, you know, I should be married by a certain age. I should have a house by a certain age. I need this kind of job. I need these kinds of friends. And if you don't match that blueprint exactly, then you feel disappointed, right? You feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, I haven't succeeded. And there are so many people who have these very firm blueprints for happiness. And guess what? They'll never achieve happiness because they don't have control over all of those elements. Mm-hmm. So right. I, I really, you know, would love to stress, you know, for, for sexual in terms of sexuality and but also in terms of, you know, just your your daily lives, um, flexibility in your rules, right? The rules um. that you need to meet in order to feel fulfillment and and successful, um, those need to be extremely flexible. And that brings me to a point of our blueprints show us, if anything, where we're limited mm. and where we're inflexible. So I, I love that you brought that up because there, there are four key things to working with our blueprints, learning how to feed your blueprint so that you are actually fed and then resourced and can give more and also feel, you know, you're feeling you're more satisfied in life mm-hmm. throughout life speaking the blueprints as if they are different languages. What are the words that you use, the body language you use to honor someone's blueprint, healing the shadows of the blueprints. And the last piece is learning to expand yourself so that therefore you are able to give and receive in each one of the blueprints. And I'll say this is an ongoing journey. I have, I started out energetic sexual. I've learned how to become a shapeshifter, giving to people because of my work. However, in receiving, I still really struggle with sensual and kinky blueprints. And so I'm still learning how to expand into those 
and get rid of my rules, you know, like really work with my rules around them because there's still fear and vulnerability. The sensual blueprint makes me feel so vulnerable in my femininity when my heart is open and I feel like, oh, there's risk of getting hurt. And the kinky blueprint is super scary because of past trauma where my body can interpret it instead of Ian being my lover, Ian becomes my, my abuser. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found a lot of healing actually working in the kinky blueprint. And I also am still developing my trust and ability to receive there based on history. So there's still healing for me to do. And it is an ongoing journey. I've been on this journey most of my life and will continue to be on this journey until the day I die. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to work on my sexuality and that's going to be done as opposed to your, your sexuality is constantly changing. Esther Perel says we don't have one sexuality. We have multiple sexualities. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it's constantly being recreated. Yeah. She also, in a podcast episode she recently did with Tony, refers to the fact that she's been married for, for decades. And, you know, they say mm. multiple people have nowadays have multiple marriages. She says, I've had multiple marriages just with the same person. Exactly. And it's interesting because <laughs> as, you know, as you and your partner do the work and evolve and, you know, become shapeshifters, I mean, I want to get into that in a moment. Um, You know, that is really, you know, people talk about keeping the spark alive and how to renew your, you know, your, your passion for each other. But this is definitely one way of doing it is to feel like you are seeing the different sides of your partner um, throughout time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that just, it's this thing about in relationship. It's that thing of like, are we in relationship to just do our thing? Or are we in relationship to actually be with the person that we're with and to get to get to know them more deeply. And, um, that's been a primary goal of my life in relationship is to find a place where I can reveal myself and be seen and heard and felt and honored and to do the same for my partner. And when we discovered, when Jai really discovered the blueprints and we adopted them in our life, it just opened up the floodgates of, mm-hmm. of so much misunderstanding. And it, it got us past disconnection and got us back to connection without the blame, without the shame, um, without the criticism, because now we had a place to play where we could, we could discover anew, like, oh, fascinating. And mm-hmm. you're turned on by that. Mm-hmm. So much passion you know Mm. there's like uh, there was this one instance where Ian had his hands like hovering over my genital area and I was just feeling like so connected and so turned on and all of a sudden he like got up and for an energetic when you leave energetically like that it just feels like you just took like a plug and pulled it out of a light socket very (laughs) violently so I was like what is going on and he went over to the music and I, I I started getting it. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I I changed the song and I changed the volume and I was just because it uh, and and then I said, "What are you doing?" And I was like, uh, uh, "What did you I said, say?" You said, "It's just my sensual." It's just my sensual. Yeah. <laughs> and then I could laugh, you know. Yeah. We were a big moment of disconnection and and anger rising in my body. You don't body understand me. And. and not understanding and here I could just go oh okay he's doing that actually for me because he knows that he can't be fully present with me because that music is getting him up in his head and he's getting distracted and if he just goes and takes a second to fix that he can come back to me with his full presence what a difference but yeah. I tell you there's there's technique to separating from an energetic and I didn't use it <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's where my skill level could have been yeah, much but better. <laughs> you just said one word, you know, you said it's my sensual and she immediately understood. And I love how, you know, there's so many opportunities for miscommunication in couples and oh, yeah. you sort of, you, you headed it off at the pass, right? And mm-hmm. didn't allow it to escalate. And for, you know, the, and when you're in your head, you're dead, right? Like when people, their, their mind spins, what, how, mm-hmm. what's the possible reason why we are disconnected? I mean, that's, that's the scary stuff. So just yep. being able to stop a potential miscommunication before it can even start, I think that's, you know, worth its weight in gold. Yes. Yeah. Huge benefit. Yeah. So do we have a drum roll? Are we Should on, sir? Are we on to shapeshifter? Well, I, yes. I also want to note, too, that I think people, when they hear the, the word shapeshifter, I certainly do. Um, don't you think of Maui from Moana? <laughs> right? Like, I was like, shapeshifter, so you can become an eagle or a whale. or <laughs> Exactly. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Exactly. And that's just the beauty of the shapeshifter. It can mm-hmm. transform to be anything. So a shapeshifter is someone who can speak all of the language. If you think of these as languages, it's like the energetic is this Chinese and the sensual is like a beautiful French. And then we've got American English for For our sexual. sexual. (laughs) And then we've got like some kind of exotic, like an old Persian and something like that for the kinky. And shapeshifter can be multilingual. And that's their beauty. That's their superpower. They can shift to be anything for anybody. So they can be an ultimate lover because they can mold and shift and change themselves to please another person very easily because they're turned on by all of these things. And a lot of times they have the ability to do all of these things. And that means that they also have all the capabilities of all of the different blueprints and their orgasmic superpowers. The other side, though, is the shadow is that they also have the ability to have all the shadow sides. And I almost think of it as a six type. If you have all the shadow sides and none of the positive sides, it's like a shadow shapeshifter mm-hmm. versus the shadow of the shapeshifter. And so the shadow of the shapeshifter is I'm going to always shapeshift to please everybody else. And therefore, I'm never really satisfied because let's say your partner's is a sensual and you're shapeshifting to be a sensual then you're only speaking one of your blueprints. So I find that shapeshifters are the ones who are in the most starvation sexually and pleasure-wise because they 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 judge themselves as being too much. I need too much. I want too much. Asking for what I really want is too much. And they so easily can shapeshift to mold to be somebody else, to please somebody else that they're never really asking for, hey, you know what? I need all of these things. Mm-hmm. Can you give me all of these things tonight? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and one of the aspects of the shapeshifter is that they just have a voracious appetite. They could take, you could be just, you could be three hours into a lovemaking session with a shapeshifter where you've got feathers going and music and straps tying and them chocolate down. chocolate in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and you've had intercourse multiple times and you've got eight hands and you know, <laughs> you're, you're completely working them over and you're, you're, you're done. And the shapeshifter is like, Hey, we just got started. <laughs> Where are you going? Yeah. Um, and, and so that can be a challenge for the shapeshifter and getting their needs met because there is such a voracious appetite to, for pleasure. And a judgment of that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm a bottomless pit and that's a bad thing. No, it just means you have a huge capacity to receive pleasure. If each of the blueprints was an instrument, you are an entire s- symphony orchestra that can put on a cacophony 
of sensation and pleasure and sound, and you're just really erotically sophisticated. Mm-hmm. So you're you're if you're a shapeshifter, it really is important for you to shift that frame of yourself as bad or too much, too much. or you know what I got. It's easier for me just to please everybody else into really getting yourself fed. And I'd say in all the blueprints, if you're starving, it comes out snippy. Mm-hmm. You know, you might get snippy. You might get these little arguments with your partner. You might start building up resentment. And from a somatic approach, your body is building up tension and armor and resentment. And so we want your bodies to be supple and receptive and able to really feel pleasure at their full capacity. And a shapeshifter has the great ability to do that. Yeah. Seriously, you talk about you know getting when you haven't when your needs are not met when you you know that's how it comes out. It's almost like um, functional medicine, right? So if you're not fueling your body with the nutrition that it needs, you start being symptomatic. That's where brain fog, depression, anxiety, um, you know, the, the other sort of physical symptoms of this deep seated. Uh, problem, it comes out in all these ways. And so it's interesting because, uh, you know, everybody wants to diagnose the the root of the problem. Um, mm-hmm. And in this case, I think people could go for years without really understanding why they have these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that we really stress as we get into deeper material that, uh, that that has been developed over the last many years is that sexual vitality is kind of like the canary in the coal mine in terms of people's overall health. Mm. Um, when there's erectile dysfunction, when there's depression, when there's these other symptoms like you're talking about, heart challenges, heart challenges. Mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of this can be tied back to the actual connection to your sexual vitality mm-hmm. and your sexual health because sexual health has to do with hormone health, your bioenergetic health, your physical health, sure, and sure. so and the relational health, the emotional the emotional health, health that's mm-hmm. going on in your in, in in all of your relationships and of course your primary sexual relationships. So, so when I start seeing sexual challenges, that's a flag for overall health. And when I see overall health, I'm looking at what is the root tied into our sexuality that could be there and contributing to any kind of health challenge that someone is experiencing. I'm kind of a health geek, so I get really, really <laughs> into into this and, and looking at it and really understanding it because people aren't seeing a whole picture. And this is part of mapping your eroticism is really looking at one, what is your blueprint type? And we could talk a little bit about there are different stages of sexuality. What stage is your type in? Mm-hmm. And then the fourth piece is what are your biggest obstacles to sexual health and pleasure? And usually they are falling in those four categories. We mentioned biochemistry. We're looking at the emotional aspects, trauma in, in someone's history or what's happening in the relationship currently, the energetic aspects, which is very important for the energetics because they're highly affected by it. And then also looking at the physical body, is there a muscle that's pulled or something in the pelvic floor that's weak that a we vertebrae want to out look of place. at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some, sure. Yeah. So it's all connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So question about um, before we get off the, the topic of the shapeshifter, because I'm, I'm extremely curious to find out what you guys found in your data um, in terms of how many people are this, because uh, you, are you guys familiar with Gretchen Rubin, the happiness project? Um, no. Uh, oh, so she, um, she's somebody that we also have interviewed and, um, she has a, an assessment test that talks about, um, types of course. And one of the types, um, in terms of how you meet your inner expectations versus how you meet external expectations is something called the obliger. 
And the obliger is pretty much a shapeshifter. It's somebody who is constantly sort of, you know, under considering other people's needs and adapting to those. And mm -hmm. I found it really interesting that out of, you know, the million people who have taken her test, that the vast majority of people are obligers. Because I was mm -hmm. always under the understanding that people are actually selfish and self-interested and kind of look after their own needs first. Mm -hmm. But she found that there are a lot of people who meet external expectations, but not internal. And it sounds like a shapeshifter is very similar. And I was just wondering if that's something that you guys have found that uh, shapeshifters are actually more common than we think they are. Uh, well, so there's a couple of things of what you said that I would like to extrapolate on a little bit. Sure. One is that the thing about um, people being, uh, you thinking that most people are selfish in their needs. I think that a lot of the obliger actually comes from a selfish drive. Interesting. Because yeah. to receive love, to get the thing, get your needs met, I, I fall into an obliger category for sure. Mm. And it's something yeah. I'm trying to tease out in myself very dramatically at this time in my life. And um, underneath it is actually a selfish drive. I'm just trying to get my needs met. And if I can fulfill this thing for this other person, I will receive the love. I will be seen. I will be heard. And it makes it, it, it brings up what we're talking about is basically like the shadow side. So when you describe that and you relate it to the shapeshifter, it is the shadow, what we would call the shadow of the shapeshifter. So the, the shadow, the shapeshifter in their um, positive aspect doesn't have the obliger they, they can very clearly state their needs. They can be very clear about what turns them on, what they need, how they're going to get there, share that with their partner, and, and make sure they have an agreement that they can get their needs met um, without falling into the shadow aspect of trying to, to please. And it's when the, shadow, the shapeshifter falls into the pleaser, that's when they get their, that their, their needs aren't met. The depression kicks in, the, uh, the resentments kick up in the relationship because they're not speaking who they are. Mm -hmm. And, and so to answer your question, yes, there are a lot of shapeshifters. <laughs> what we're seeing is that what people find out, and maybe this is just a product of working with us. So I want to <laughs> right. say what, if I had my way, the whole world would be shapeshifters because we'd have like this unlimited ability to really receive pleasure. And but nobody would get any work done. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, so we end up with a lot of shapeshifters because people expand into it very quickly going through our programs. People start to recognize their limitations, heal their shadows, and then they ultimately end up being shapeshifters. On our quizzes, we get a lot of energetics, which is very surprising to me, and a lot of shapeshifters. And the feedback that those are the two highest, highest categories. A lot of the feedback we get about this is people who are like, I had no idea I was an energetic. Mm. I just thought I was weird. Mm. I just thought <laughs> I was broken. I just thought something was really wrong with me that I liked these things and that, you know, I shake when I have an orgasm or my body shakes when I'm experiencing pleasure, that that is weird or wrong. And I've shut that down. Thank you so much. Like we get people writing to us in tears, recognizing that they're an energetic or mm -hmm. recognizing that their partner was something and that they were another thing and how that has played out on their relationship. And then the other piece is the shapeshifter. That seems to be our second highest one. And people recognizing that they do need it. 
And then there's a lot, like people don't want to be shapeshifters. It's really interesting how many people are like, oh, I really didn't want to get the shapeshifter. <laughs> and, and I got that one. Now, what do I do? Like, how do I even begin with unraveling, you know, the shadow? And how do I begin with really getting my needs met? Because it's such a big, huge and it feels very scary. And they they judge themselves as I'm too complex, I'm too much. They go back into that place when they discover that they're a shapeshifter. And I think the kinky results for our quiz may be a little uh, suppressed because that's also a thing where shame oh, can, yeah. Yeah, sure. can keep people. Yeah, people answer. don't answer honestly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is where we find out the kinkies later in the next test. So we we kind of have this series of you know listening to us talk about the blueprints and maybe those of you who are listening are already discovering like oh I think I might be this one or that one, and then you take the test and again just to give you the website it's eroticbreakthrough.com forward slash robins to go and take the test and then you get another idea. But the truth always comes out when we do the next test, which we call an A-B game. It's something we teach very in-depth in our courses, and we have different layers of how to do this test. And it's essentially like when you go to the optometrist and they go, okay, A or B, which one can... <laughs> which one do you prefer? Which, which, which you know? one works for you? And so it's, it's simply going through the body step by step and going, okay, this is touch A and this is touch B, which one do you prefer? I honestly believe that the body always tells the truth. The body doesn't lie. Sure, and physiology. So getting a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, getting a somatic response. And then sometimes there's a disconnect between what our head says and our body says, you know, so then we reconcile that. And so it, it really is working out your erotic map, determining and putting in the piece of the body is where I see the kinky show up. And where I see the turn on and then they can't deny, oh my goodness, I was so turned on by that. I didn't know that I was turned mm -hmm. on by that. People had never played in it. And so the kinky blueprint comes out a lot more during that A-B test. And I see the same response in the body almost every time as it starts to come out is there's this sound that comes out of the body like a, oh, 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 oh. Like, <laughs> it's this like deep sound that's kind of like, like when somebody pulls your hair, it's just like, oh, yeah. And so, and, and they get this face of like a stinky, like they've smelled something stinky. And the body kind of curls up or there's like a tension in the body. And that's a telltale sign. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, there's a point for kinky. And then we go through and then if they think they thought they were sensual, we'll keep comparing sensual to kinky. And oftentimes we'll find out, oh, there's a lot more kinky here than, than what we originally had thought from the mental map. Yeah. Got it. Great. So I wanted to wrap up with one final question that um, just – you know, we're, we're operating sort of under the assumption here that you and your partner, um, you know, everybody listening, are both equally open to, to exploring this and to getting a deeper understanding and moving forward together. But what we've found, and I think a lot of people who are Tony Robbins fans can relate to this, is sometimes that's not the case, right? So typical story is, you know, you'll have somebody, they go to date with destiny, they come back from date with destiny, they approach their partner and they say, oh, I learned all this stuff and it's so amazing, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about it. But because the partner, you know, maybe is not as, you know, immersed in Tony Robbins content, they immediately reject it. And, you know, I was fortunate enough, I attended your event and I, um, my partner was very open and it was a great joint experience. 
but what how would what advice would you give to somebody who's listening now who this really resonates with and they want to bring it back to their partner and they don't know how what are some uh, some small steps that they could take um you know say even to the extent their partner doesn't want to take the te- take your assessment test right um mm-hmm. what are some things that they can do to sort of break the ice and at least start the conversation and and get the ball rolling in that sense because i think this is a challenge a lot of people are faced with let me give a don't first yeah um, great yep don't don't content dump on them. So what I mean by that is <laughs> yeah. like, don't go home. And like, I learned this high blood pressure, blah, 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 and here's yeah. this one, and this one, and like that. Which is hard not to do because you're so excited, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. you want to you want to share everything you learned because it may it makes you yeah it expands your world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the other person, it's a it can create paralytic fear for the other person. Yes. Like, <laughs> oh God, what does that mean? Now is something wrong with our sex yeah. life? And- yeah, I'm not satisfied in this relationship, and you know what's the what's wrong, and I don't want to deal with it. Yep, uh-huh. spinning mind. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the things to start with is just a lot of appreciation. So mm-hmm. here's a do: is just a lot of appreciation for what you love about your relationship, and do it authentically. Um, we have a coach; her name's Kristen Sweeting Morelli, yeah. and um, she, you know, she says receiving we talk about gratitude and appreciation, but really what you have to do first is receive all that your partner has done for you. If you're coming to them out of a place of lack or like, I need to change this or like a, you need to change like a hunger kind of thing. It it doesn't work as well as if you come first with your heart filled with receiving all that you've received in this relationship, like really feel it in your heart. And then you can go into the gratitude and the appreciation from a really heart open place. I've been doing this exercise that Kristen gave us recently where I just take like a sponge and it's like, I'm kind of clearing out my heart, all the little crusties or all the little things or all the little resentments. And I just energetically, it's perfect for energetics, kind of clear it out. And then I'm able to come more with an open appreciative place. And so it might look like something like this. If I were talking to Ian, it might be like, Ian, I really appreciate how much you give to our relationship. And I love so much every time we connect physically and sexually. And I, I just really want to take our sex life to the next level. And I'm wondering if it would be okay with you if I shared with you something I just learned that I'm really excited about. Because mm-hmm. that would provide me with just so much feeling of connection with you and a feeling like we're really a team not saying that we're not a team because I really feel like we're a team, but I just feel like it would take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And the, the distinction of something, the, the word that Jai used there, of what that would provide for, mm, for her. Benefit, yeah. So when speaking from the place of the providing, this will provide for me or provide for our relationship, it, it instantly brings a come towards energy into the dynamic of, mm-hmm. um, wow, that uh, as a, uh, you know, as a masculine person, I want to step in and sure. I want to provide that. I want to, I, I'm, I'm now listening to her of like, oh, well, I love you. And that seems like something that would be great for our relationship. Um, so that then I, I'm drawn in and then there's something for me to do. Like I become a protector of that possibility in our relationship. Mm-hmm. So, so that would be, yeah, that would definitely be one thing. Um, and then other aspects, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about them here um, in what we've already shared, but it's also being very clear to be non-critical because stepping into this journey of sexuality 
is pretty unique, like open sexuality, like really expressing yourself in your relationship is pretty unique and pretty frightening for a lot of people. Um, it's murky waters. Mm -hmm. So having the compassion really forward for your partner and yourself and and all your little parts that are really scared that you're going to lose love. And you know, this is, it's scary. And that's something I may even say to my partner, if I can really tap into my vulnerability to say, you know what, I'm really scared right now to bring this up with you. And I just really appreciate your presence and I really love you and there's nothing you've done wrong, but I'm feeling scared. Could you yeah. sit with me for a little bit? And would this be a good time yeah. to reveal? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say giving, giving the option and the opportunity to provide mm-hmm. that level, that feeling of comfort. No, I think that's, that's a wonderful approach. And so you don't abandon your own needs in this situation at the same time. If use that presence again if you're noticing that there's tension you could you could call it out you could say hey this might just be my hallucination but i'm noticing the i'm thinking maybe you're feeling a little tense because i see your shoulders raising and is that the case and could you share with me about that what's going on with you and also if it's clear that it's not the right time would there be a good time that we could talk about this so that you're honoring their boundaries, protecting them while you're trying to open up a whole new uh, kettle of worms <laughs> in, in where you want to take the relationship. Mm-hmm. And always remembering that if they do come back with something that is really intense, you know, if they come back with, well, you never take out the garbage or, well, you, why would After I want to 20 years this? of not having <laughs> sex with me, now you, you want to fix this? Yeah. You know? That just to, if you can stay, like notice if you get triggered, like notice the tension in your body, notice that you may want to reveal that that's happening. And if you can really tune into the compassion of they're scared, they're, you know, what is the true emotion and get to the core of that and not the words that they're saying, because it's never about the trash. It's never about the sex. It's never really about these things. What it is about is usually an old artifact that core injuries is a core thing from childhood, from parental upbringing. And that is oftentimes what's at play in our relationships. We, we tend to attract people. We like to work on these things with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, I'll I'll add one more thing that I, that is coming to me right now, which is um, we actually have a philosophy that it only takes, it takes one person in the dynamic to completely transform the relationship. Mm-hmm. So let's say you come and you introduce this to your partner and you're just getting nothing but resistance. Well, at that point, it may be time to take the leadership role and simply become as deeply immersed and educated in the distinctions, in understanding your partner, even if they won't tell you what they need or want, of how to feed them mm-hmm. so that you can begin to feed them so that they can start to be acknowledged and appreciated and seen and start the, so it starts to be, um, down regulate their physiology mm-hmm. and they start getting their needs met and they start opening. Like the heart begins to open the, the opportunity and the possibilities of deeper connections start to open. And we've seen people effectively take this in their relationship without ever having one of these overt conversations and they're, sexuality in their in their relationship is completely transformed and this is the turnaround that happened for ian and i was that i made a decision without even telling him that i was no longer going to blame him i was no longer going to resent him i was no longer going to do this and i was not going to tell him and for 
one whole year, I was going to be 100% all in, in shifting our relationship without even telling him or having a conversation or enrolling him in anything. And I remember that October, because I decided this in January of that year, I remember in that October, we were out on a pier in Jamaica, our relationship had radically transformed. There was a lightning storm out in the ocean and we were actually on a bed on the pier with at a restaurant where they're serving food on the bed. <laughs> and I told him, I said, have you felt anything different? Because our relationship at that point was just so sky high Yeah. that is there anything different? Have you noticed anything different? He's like, I have, what have you been doing? And I revealed to him that I made a commitment to spending an entire year working on myself and working on the relationship, but not telling him one thing or actually asking one thing of him and not blaming or resenting him for any of the past. And that was the the major turnaround. I love that. I think, I mean, that's incredible because I think so many people think, you know, it, it, it takes two, but the idea mm -hmm. that you do have control and you do have the ability to make those shifts in behavior and, you know, sort of start, it's like feeding a starving person. They don't realize they're starving until they get those small bites of food. And then all of a sudden their appetite is voracious. Yeah, um, and I, right. you know, yeah, and I, you know, I think that is, you know, an incredible thing for our audience to hear because sometimes people might feel, oh, you know, I, I can't do this alone. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing in my power, but there actually is. And I think this is a great example of, of what they can do to get started. Yep. And the other thing is that the, if you've got years of resentments or years of not even having the ability to have a conversation about this mm. and you're having an expectation uh, Tony says something about expectations. Um, yeah. There's Trade your expectation for appreciation and your whole world changes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, that's part of the structure is like uh, if you're going in with the expectation that just because you learn this new thing, now all of a sudden your partner better get on board, mm -hmm. you're probably in a world of hurt. You know, you're asking for a world of hurt because you've spent all this time to create the issue. Now it's time to unwind and the unwinding takes time. Yeah. Wow. Jaya, Ian. <laughs> I feel like we've just, we've just tapped the surface. Um, but I think that we've given our audience plenty of things to think about. Um, you know, again, it's eroticblueprint.com slash Robbins to go take yep, the, forward, the slash Robbins. forward slash Robbins. Erotic, erotic breakthrough dot com. I thought I heard you say something different, but oh, erotic yeah. breakthrough dot com. Yep forward slash Robbins. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been absolutely enlightening. Um, and I encourage everybody to, you know, take the next step to take your, your relationship and your, and your sex life to the next level um, using this blueprint from, from Jaya and Ian. Thank you so much. It has and been our great pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is an honor to be able to speak to everybody who's listening to this and may the words that we've shared with you uh, be the seed that creates total transformation, much more passion, and much hotter sex. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the Tony Robbins Podcast is directed and hosted by Tony Robbins. Anna York is our editorial director and occasional host. Our executive producer is Carrie Song. Jimmy Carvajal and Adriel De La Torre are our digital editors. Special thanks to Mary Buckheit and Diane Adcock for their creative review.